Welcome to Racing HQ, brought to you by the all-electric Kia EV6. Car sales, car of the year, with up to 528 kilometres of range. Welcome to Press Room on Radio Town. Presented by Garrard's Horse and Hound. Making shopping easier with their online store. The same extensive catalogue, the same keen prices online or over the phone. 1-800-060-896 or visit horseandhound.com.au. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for your company on Press Room. It's Monday, the 30th of October, and we're getting ready for a big weekend, a really big weekend. Of course, it's Derby Day at Flemington, the start of their four-day carnival, and it's Golden Eagle Day at Rose Hill Gardens. We'll talk plenty about that uh, weekend, that Saturday, during the show with our regular panellists. And, of course, always happy to hear what you think. Did you back a winner on the weekend? Did you back a loser? Let us know what you think. Agree or disagree? News or views? You know the deal. 0499 putters the way to go. That's 0499 786 Send us through a line, or you can tweet me at Radio Tab Oz. And don't forget, of course, the podcast. We tweet that out each week on the Radio Tab Oz link. Or go to Spotify and search under Radio Tab. Press room, of course, each Monday. Brought to you with the compliments of Garrard's Horse and Hound. Well, the greatness of the Cox Plate, particularly Saturday's edition, can be reflected in the result. And now I'm not talking about the winner, Romantic Warrior, who naturally enhanced the globalisation of our weight for age championship with that thrilling nose win. But let's take a deep dive into the family lineage of the trainers of the second, third and fourth place getters. Firstly, some, some background to start with. There are three legends in the trainer section of the Australian Racing Hall of Fame. Tommy Smith, Bart Cummings and Colin Hayes. A fourth, Gay Waterhouse, will be inaugurated next month. Four and only four legends. So the second place getter in the Cox Plate, Mr Brightside, as you know, went agonisingly close, a nose margin, denying Ben, Will and J.D. Hayes a third-generation Cox Plate victory. Their dad, David, trained Fields of Omar and better loosen up, while their grandfather, Colin, a Hall of Fame legend, trained so-called Dulcify and Almorad to win. Third was the brave alligator blood, trained by the soon-to-be-anointed legend, Gay Waterhouse, who notched her sixth Cox Plate placing. Her father, legend Tommy Smith, holds the Cox Plate training record of seven winners. It all began with Red Craze back in the late 50s, then Tullock, Gunnison, Red Anchor, and, of course, the three-peat from Kingston Town. A duist, which could be considered an unlucky fourth, is trained by Edward Cummings, whose brother James won with Animo in 2022, whose dad Anthony has had Cox Plate runners, and whose grandfather Bart won five Cox Plates with Taj Rossi, Saintly, Dane Ripper, and twice with So You Think. And, just for good measure, his great-grandfather, Jim Cummings, had a runner in the inaugural running of the Cox Plate in 1922. Legendary families steeped in Cox Plate history with their youngest offspring still aiming for their first victory in the race after Saturday's contest. The best prepare for it, the best race in it, and the best win it. And that's why the Cox Plate is Australia's greatest race. You're listening to Press Room on Radio Tab. Ben Norris, first up this morning. Good morning, good sir. How are you? 
Yes, good morning, David. I very rarely do this, but uh, I agree with absolutely everything you just said about the Cox Plate. The one thing I would say, and we talked about this a little bit on Past the Post yesterday, is I reckon the support card needs a bit of a spruce up. Outside the Cox Plate, uh, some of those races uh, weren't attention-grabbing races. They were small fields, so maybe that's something they need to look at in future years. But the Cox Plate itself was absolutely bloody terrific. You got me thinking about that yesterday when you mentioned about the undercard and I sort of addressed it as well with the small numbers. Not not so much the, the, the calibre of the race, but the small numbers. I had a chat with a, a good authority yesterday afternoon and I think we agreed upon one factor. I think it's an obvious one and it's, you know, it's something that can't be helped, but the fact that there's so many options now, particularly with good prize money in Sydney, big prize money in Sydney on offer, often on the same day or a, a week before... It's opened up the options for trainers with good horses, and some are simply staying in Sydney. And I think the classic case, and this wasn't, uh, this was a small field, but it was a Group One. The Manicato has probably suffered as a result of the Giga Kick being this Saturday with those bonuses available. So, I, I think the 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 options, the amount of alternatives, has probably affected these these races and resulted in these smaller fields. Yeah, no doubt. I think they do need to do something with the. Manicato, because let's face it, the uh, Everest and the Giga Kick this Saturday aren't going anywhere uh, at all, are they? Particularly the Everest. I mean, they're, they're not. They're not sort of changing. So, uh, look, I mean, I don't exactly know where you put the Manicato, but yeah, you you want um, a better field than what we saw on Saturday outside of Imperatrice. I mean, she's outstanding. Clearly, she's a, an absolute superstar. Could be an awesome generation, but she is. If, if she had decided to go to an Everest or was you know, sent to the paddock to spell or something or other, the field would you know we would have had a six-horse field with an 80 rider in there. So yeah. uh, I'm not quite sure what the answer is, but um, something they need to have a look at, which I'm sure they probably will, David. Just before we embark on a few topics, uh, things are getting a bit nasty, mate. First email through to Ben Uh-oh. Dorries. Uh-oh. Well, just hear me out. To Ben Dorries, Victoria Road, last, last, exclamation mark. I lost a mozza on your horse, Tony from Bowen Hills, and the final line, you owe me a tip. Uh, well, that's not correct, starters. Let's just look it up. I'm sure the horse, I'm sure the horse didn't run last, because uh, you know why my other tip, King Colorado, ran last. Let, let me have a look. Yeah, no, that's a bit harsh. It actually ran nine out of 12, uh, 12 uh, Victoria Road. But I, I think the signs were there, in fairness, on match morning, weren't they, when the stewards put out something saying, look, this horse faces a vet inspection. Uh, there's a few little worries there. Was subsequently passed to take its place, but, 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 but more importantly, cost. what's what, what's what, what's there for Tony? You've got to give him something. Well, it's, it's just too early in the week, isn't it? I mean, it's Monday. Like, no, I know. I tell you I thought what, there might be something. I tell, I tell you what, Wellington or Newcastle or something. Here's a tip: listening to Pass the Post on Sunday when you and I, David, go through the entire. Uh, Melbourne Cup field runner by runner and uh, we put the pen through some and we highlight some others. Uh, that's generally... Uh, it's a lot of fun for us to do, isn't it? A couple of days out from the Melbourne Cup and uh, I think generally we, we take a trifecta or first four in our numbers. I think generally we've, we've done pretty well over the years, old mate, so let's hope we do the same thing again. I think we took, I think we worked out a combination last year that cost $5,000 or something and we got back, I don't know, 4000 Got back 200 <laughs> Just before, just before we start, we, we are going to start soon. 
Hi, David. That Cox Plate was the best and competitive race I've seen for a long time. That's what brings people to the races. Brilliant. I think that sums it up. Shane Dye is never backward in coming forward. He's very forthright in his opinion. We, we did, spoke about him yesterday that he was, you know, very bullish about Romantic Warrior. And he didn't uh, back away despite that defeat of the Turnbull. So he came up trumps there. He's also been very uh, clear and forthright about this Caulfield Cup uh, winning ride of Mark Zaras. Tell us about that. Yeah, and I guess while we're talking about this on this show today, David, is, yeah, the Caulfield Cup was, you know, nine days ago now. But, I mean, this could have significant ramifications in the conversation, really, for the Melbourne Cup. Um, Shane Dye's point was, I mean, for starters, he thinks the whip rules are, are, are terrible. Like, he, he doesn't think, you know, he, he can't cop the whip rules, so that's point one. But point two is, he says, and look, I tend to agree with him. He says, if you do have these you've got to actually enforce them properly. And he feels that uh, without a fight in Mark Zara should have been stripped of their Caulfield Cup win because effectively he's watched the race a hundred times. I'll back his judgment. I mean, he's, you know, a legendary jockey. He he feels the only reason that without a fight won that race is because Mark Zara infringed the whip rules. So he said, look, Mm. it's, it's sort of like a claims rule. You have these rules, but then... And the second bit of his argument was, he said... Yeah, there was a $50,000 fine. He said, look, that'd be like pocket change for Mark Zara. I mean, that's nothing. He'd probably get the owners of the horse to pay it anyway. And a seven-meeting suspension. But the seven-meeting suspension didn't take in any spring majors. So effectively just misriding, you know, modest races in the midweek. So he said, what actually was the penalty? 50000 even if Zara paid it himself. You know, that's not a whole lot for someone like Mark Zara. He probably got the owners to kick in anyway. And the suspension was basically... You know, um, so we miss absolutely nothing of substance. And his point was, what about the second place horse and jockey and third place and whatever? All those jockeys that did abide by the rules. He said, well, what's the point in doing that? He said, effectively, what stewards are doing at the moment by not getting tough on 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 this whip rule business is effectively, he feels, encouraging jockeys or sending the message to to, to big name jockeys in big races that if you do infringe, uh, for starters, you won't lose the race. And secondly, you'll probably get a penalty that, that is, is neither here nor there. So, look, I can see his point. And I reckon um, this issue could very much come to the fore on Derby Day and also Melbourne Cup Day. I mean, look, let's face it, do we really think in a tight Melbourne Cup finish, especially a jockey who hasn't won the Melbourne Cup before, for instance, is he going to be thinking about the whip rules you know, as he drives his, uh, drives his horse to the finish? I don't think so. So, look, the, the other interesting element to all this too, David, is Frankie Dettori. I mean, Frankie Dettori did, didn't have a Melbourne Cup ride, but he was trying to get one. He was coming here to ride in a farewell Melbourne Cup. But the whip rules over in England or Great Britain are very, very different to what they are here. So he was only, I think, one strike over in a couple of races. And, and the stewards effectively threw the book at him, or authorities threw the book at him, and he's been rubbed out of the Melbourne Cup. And also in Great Britain, if a jockey is four or more uh, over the maximum... Uh, that the horse is disqualified. As in, like, if you're four over, good night, nurse. You know, you lose yeah. your race. So, look, it's, I don't know what the answer is, but having, you know, and, and Hong Kong's got other rules. Having different rules in different jurisdictions around the world seems rubbish to me. And I do take Shane Dolly's point. If you're going to have these rules, uh, you've got to bloody well enforce them. If you don't like them, which I don't, I'm sure you don't, a lot of people don't, you know, we can have another conversation about winding them back or doing something different with them. But while they're here, you know, actually treat them seriously. So it's an interesting debate, and it's a topic that could flare up, I think, in the Melbourne Cup.
Yeah, it, I, I, as you said, I know where Dyer's coming from, but I think the, the, the flaw in his argument is that he thinks that, that, uh, that uh, a breach of the whip rules uh, ensures um, uh, relegation or disqualification. Well, it doesn't. I think that it's, the stu- it's the steward's interpretation. Did the amount of whip use uh, affect the result? And on that argument, that's where I say, how can you quantify... Um, how many strikes of the whip, you know, in, in terms of margin. So, look, it, it's a tricky one, but but I think the point you make as well is uh, is well found. Where different jurisdictions, different rules. I mean, it's it's a bit of a basket case. Look, uh, the cups next Tuesday, as you said, on past the post on Sunday, we'll have a big preview of the cup. Jared Daffy will join us as well with all the, the pricing information, where the money's gone. Vauban's the four dollar favourite. Give our listeners a bit of background to this this owner of Vauban. Oh, look, this will provide more than a splash of colour to the Melbourne Cup. We always talk about, don't we, some of these largely anonymous overseas horses coming here and we don't really know them and know much about them. Well, I can tell you, we'll know a bit about the Melbourne Cup favourite when Rich Ritchie, that's his name if you don't mind, Rich Ritchie, and he is very bloody rich, when he lobs into town in his Trilby hat and and his suits, which are personally monogrammed, uh, he's a former uh, American investment banker and Wall Street executive. He's worth somewhere between $100 million and a billion, if you don't mind. He's been here with Max Dynamite in the past. I think Max ran placings in two Melbourne Cups. He's a very, very flamboyant figure. But, look, he's not a big noter. He's always loved, for instance, when he gets to a racetrack, he might be well-dressed. But he, he just loves, for instance, coming to Australia and sitting down and having a sandwich or a pie with sauce. Like, and, he, and he prefers to travel by himself and with a big honorage. So, look, he's, he's quite a complex sort of quirky character. But I can tell you, he lobs into town in Melbourne on Friday. He will not be missed. I'm sure he'll be front and centre of, of TV shows, of, of stories in newspapers. So, Rich Ritchie, David, uh, keep a look out for him. And if he's, if our tips on Sunday go, go no good, I've got his number. Uh, I might ring him and see if he's good for a loan, perhaps, uh, until the next time he gets to um, to Australia. And just remember, it's Rich Ritchie, not Richie Rich. <laughs> no, Rich Ritchie. He's rich, whichever way you look at it. <laughs> Bailey Wheeler is a very promising apprentice. Uh, he was stood down by Annabelle Neesham nearly a month ago after some uh, behavioural uh, incidents. He's uh, broken his silence. He's spoken with Trent Nakers. That story's up on RaceNet as we speak. And, uh, well, he's uh, seeking redemption, but he's he's got a... Uh, you know, walks the walk, he's got to talk the talk. If he talks the talk, he's got to walk the walk as well. And it seems as though he's prepared to do that. Yeah, well, I mean, he'll have to back up his words with actions. But I, I like this from Bailey Wheeler. I mean, he, he's it's a bit on the nose, I, I guess, in terms of not his riding, but just some of those behavioural issues that we've talked about on, on this show. But look, he's done an interview, as you say, with, uh, with Trent Nakers and said, look, he feels like the, this month off that he's having, which is really a self inflicted wound. Uh, it could be the best thing that's happened to him. And, and look, these are some of the quotes. He said, I was running heaps of winners and there were guys that were keen to go to the pub. He said, I wasn't too fussed on going, but I would always end up going, which led me to having too many beers. I was more keen on having a party than focusing on my, on my racing career. So look, you can read the rest of that on RaceNet. But look, I think that's refreshing. I think the fact that, hey, look, he's only a young kid. Uh, he's made a few mistakes. Uh, there is a bit of a pattern of behaviour there with those mistakes, but look, it seems like he's wearing this one on the chin and very much admitting uh, he needs to improve, which is terrific, David. That's all we can ask. And now I guess it's just a matter for you know actions to back those words, and, and let's, let's hope they do because 
there's no doubt he's a highly talented young young rider. As as you leave us, um, you better really get stuck into that Melbourne Cup form for Sunday's past the post because Tony's final message is: I will listen on Sunday, but listen with bated breath. Just as a, an addition there, so. <laughs> I, I think t- I think Tony wants to be part of the show. I think he wants to come on the show. Well, why don't we have him on? Tony from Bowen Hills. Perhaps we could have Tony for. Why don't we have him on on Sunday, on on our, our Melbourne Cup special, and he, he can he can tell us what he likes in the Melbourne Cup. I'll look into it. You have a good day. Okay, bye, David. There he is, Ben Dorries joining us. Bob from Adelaide writes uh, regarding Shane Dye's comments: easy solution, get rid of whips. Well, that would be e- that, well. No, that wouldn't be easy, and I don't know if that's a solution, but it's a consideration. So it is. It does open a can of worms. Ray Thomas is on the line. Ray, good morning. Yeah, good morning, David, and good morning, everyone. I was talking about the Cox Plate on Saturday. Uh, I know a lot of you know uh, very authoritative people in Australian racing considered even before the race that was one of the best Cox Plates, and probably the the result of the race franks that those those pre-race comments mm, fantastic spectacle wasn't it david and, and that man james mcdonald rose to the occasion as he often does in these big ones just gave romantic warrior the perfect ride didn't he if if he had been even a, a pair back he may not have won the race but in saying that craig williams right on mr Brightside was superb alligator blood as brave as as he always is, fantastic finish, fantastic race, and uh, it was some spectacle. It's amazing, isn't it? Um, it was a, a hectic finish, particularly between first and second, and no separated them. But, you know, if, if results went otherwise, as I sort of alluded to in my opening remarks, like mm-hmm. Gay would have trained her first Cox Plate winner. Um, imagine Mr Brightside, the nose going the other way, third generation. Uh, yeah. And, of course, uh, Dewis was had no clear run in the straight. Imagine another Cummings going into the, the Cox Plate uh, honour roll. But anyway, oh, yeah. the result was the result it was, and it was Romantic Warrior. Uh, Ray, uh, just a, a question off notice. We had a nasty fall, a particularly nasty fall at the country track at Tari yesterday. Three jockeys, or four jockeys were involved. Jeff Keogh was one who was able to go home, but uh, not faring so well were Lachlan scores, Courtney Vanderwerf and Jeff Penzer. Yeah, look, and I have got an update this morning. There's no real change at this stage. I spoke to Steve Railton about a half hour ago just to see if there, there was an update. Um, uh, his understanding is that, that Lachlan is still in an induced coma and, and uh, obviously our thoughts are with Lachlan and his family at the moment. Jeff Penzer has suffered multiple breaks um, and other injuries and he's in ICU and... Um, I dare say will be there for a few more days at least. Um, and Courtney, as you said, has a, a fractured shoulder. So, look, um, one of those awful incidents, incidents to watch. And unfortunately, uh, these three riders have suffered uh, severe injuries that will keep them out of the saddle for a long time. But certainly our, our thoughts with Lachlan uh, at the moment and also with Jeff, who's just got back from... Uh, another long uh, injury-enforced layoff as well, Jeff. He's had no luck at all. So, look, just one of those things you never want to see in racing. Let's hope that all three jockeys are, uh, have speedy recoveries. And of course, of course, a very famous name in New South Wales mm. racing is, is Lachlan. Is, is Lachlan the son of Matthew? Is it? Son of, 
uh, son of John, yeah. So John. I think son of John, yeah. Um, of course, a placid art man. So you got me thinking there now. I, I, I'm certainly is the son of John, but I'll check on that, David, and send you a text when I get off air to make sure I got that right. I was checking the tab fixed odds markets this morning. We'll, we'll run through the, the, the feature races on the weekend or the Group One races on the weekend. Golden Eagles are a Group One, nor is the Giga Kick. So we'll talk about the markets a yeah. little later in the program. But I've noticed the Victoria Derby market up this morning. Riff Rock at two fifty, Apulia four fifty, and Verdad at eight. So Tom Kitten must be out. Yeah, Godolphin have confirmed they decide to spell Tom Kitten. Um, he won't be going south for the derby on the quick backup. Uh, we did have James Cummings on Sydney Radio yesterday morning. He was fairly bullish about the derby then, but he did allude to the fact that there was an important meeting with Vin Cox and Jason Walsh, the Brains Trust at Godolphin, later in the day. And they've obviously come to the decision that um, sending the Colt a trip away to Melbourne on the seven-day backup, although, to be fair, it did work last year for for the Derby winner, Man's Always. They've decided against that with Tom Kitten. Um, I don't know what you thought, David, but that was a monstrous win from a real talent. And I dare say Godolphin were already thinking of Autumn and long-term with this cult because he's got elite acceleration. He's a late-for-age horse in the making. And, and James even alluded to yesterday that he could be back running on... Cox Plate Day next year at the Valley in the Cox Plate. Um, uh, I think he's a pretty special talent. Yes, yeah, certainly is. Espiona uh, won the invitation. Uh, she still has that habit, doesn't she, of, of laying in. She mm. still has got her, her, her craft properly right, but she's still very, very good at what she does. And I think, too, it showed on Saturday that that distance, 1,400 metres, that's her lane. That's her best yeah. go. That's definitely a sweet spot. But you're right, she must be difficult to ride but on the same token she must uh, be thrilling to ride if I can say that David because again we use that term elite acceleration she's got that and she needed all that and more to run down a very game ruthless dame but it's been a terrific spring for Espiona and she's finally realising that potential that she showed very early in her career when I think she was unfairly labelled as potentially the next Winks or the next good mare to come out of the Chris Wallace table it was a a pretty um, tough burden to live up to. But I think, to be fair to her, she has been played a little by um, the wet tracks that we've had a lot in Sydney over the last couple of years. Obviously, now we're in pretty much a drought now, so she's getting those firm tracks that she really likes. But as you, you mentioned, she's got that habit of turning her head sideways, almost like she's looking at the crowd in the straight. And, and she does tend to, to lay in a little under pressure, but doesn't slow her up. She's very, very fast when she unleashes. And uh, another big win for her, of course, she won the golden pendant three starts back. And probably with her seventh in the Everest was solid without getting the real chance to show her finishing speed. She was crowded in between runners. Where she would have finished, I'm not sure. But she came out on Saturday and, uh, and won the invitation to cap a really good spring. Yeah, of course, your other feature race was the was the Group 2, Calendar Presnell, and uh, again, Wallet of the Four, and Denise Martin, of course, with Star Thoroughbreds. We spoke with Denise on Past the Post yesterday, and Craig mm-hmm. Sayer getting up at $26 just on Ken Calendar and Max Presnell. Were they trackside on Saturday? They were both there. Um, of course, Ken last year missed the inaugural running of the Calendar Presnell. I'm sure you won't mind me saying so. He was... Um, undergoing cancer treatment at the time and wasn't well enough to attend. But he was hale and hearty there on Saturday, looking fit and in terrific form, as was Max. Max is 
always there every Saturday in Sydney racing. He's in his early 80s, Max, but he's the youngest-looking person in, in the early 80s I've ever seen. He's very fit and well and sharp of mind, and uh, they are just two legendary figures, and uh, I think it's just tremendous that both men have been given the honour of this race being named after them, and... Um, after the presentation, I think both men couldn't make it back to the to the grandstand. They were swamped by autographed hunters, etc. And two very popular, learned racing gentlemen. And uh, great to see them both there in fine form there at Ramwick on Saturday. Yeah, it's been a masterstroke by uh, New South Wales Racing to have a race named jointly Calendar Presidential, as is the case with Johnny Tapper and yeah. Ian Craig. I, I read your story with interest in, in Friday's Daily Telegraph. And the, the good part was that their, their difference of views regarding, you know, best milers, best horses. Mm. And there was certainly a, a difference there, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. Like, um, yeah, we often, people like you and I might sort of live in the past sometimes but um, and think that what we've seen decades ago is still the best, uh, etc. But Ken did nominate Winx as the greatest miler he'd ever seen. Uh, Maxo went for Tobin Bronze where he lumped a huge weight to win the Doncaster in 67 and um, he had various reasons why. Great mile races they've seen. I was interested that Max nominated Fine and Dandy back in 61 but it was primarily because he, he had Fine and Dandy going into a horse called Sharpley who beat Tullock in the Sydney Cup so he pulled off the, the big double of huge odds and that to me just underlines what these two men are, are about. They love their racing, they love their history, they love the, the punt, and it, and they're not ashamed to say that. that. That's how it comes out in their in their writing, in, in their TV and radio appearances, and uh, as I said, it was great to see them both there on Saturday. We head to Rose Hill Gardens this Saturday. This is a big one, the $10 million mm. Golden Eagle, uh, Amelia's Jewel, $4.50, Hawaii, five oh five, Kovalika and Legato at 6 I've been shying away from trying to pronounce the name of this horse. It starts with O, and it's not Ozapenko. How, how is it pronounced, right? I'm hopeless. Obamburamai. I'm pretty sure that's right. Obamburamai, but um, we should defer to the great Darren Flindell. He, he nails these things so well. But I tell you what, he's a pretty handy horse with Group 1 form in Japan. We know how good Japanese form is. He'll get the firm track he needs on Saturday, and... Uh, he's eight dollars for a reason. He's right in this race, David. Did you check out Equinox on the weekend? One fifty-five point two. Get your head around that for two. How do they run that? That is staggering time, and he looked to do it with a little bit up his sleeve. But maybe he didn't. Maybe he was flat out going to the finish, and it's hard to believe a horse can run any faster than that. That's effectively four seconds faster than the Australian. Uh, record for the distance so um, wow what a horse David he put a margin on him in the 10-0 show and way just cruised up on that hot speed he looked like Kingston Town in a maiden he was cantering at the top of the straight yeah. 155 I've seen horses we have an 1800 metre race at Eagle Farm I've seen horses sometimes run 155 two for 1800 <laughs> he's got an extra 200 metres quite um, extraordinary yeah, I think he is without doubt the best horse in the world and uh, I think if anyone wants to get any evidence, just watch a replay of that 10-0 show and uh, I'm sure you'll, you don't mind me saying I was in awe watching that yesterday. He, he's some horse, David. That Golden Eagle field, will it be declared tomorrow? Uh, yes, and we'll have a capacity of 20 horses in the race. So 
Um, they use that expression, the all-important barrier draw. That'll be shown live on Sky Thoroughbred Central tomorrow night, and it is crucial to the outcome of this race. If you think back just 12 months, David Godolphin had a horse called Volana in white-hot form coming off a mm. Silver Eagle. He drew barrier 20. He literally drew the car park in the Golden Eagle and just couldn't get on the track. It's a spectacular sight, 20 horses rattling, you know, hurtling around that 1,500-metre course at Rose Hill, but if you draw wide, gee, you need everything to go in your favour. So the barrier draw is super important for the outcome of this race. I dare say if Amelia's jewel draws well, she'll shorten, but if she draws out wide, um, we could have a new favourite by tomorrow night. Yeah, as we just outlined, she is the, the tab fix favourite, $4.50. Coming off what, on face value, I don't think connections would disagree, was a below par run of the two racks. So mm. there is a little question mark there, isn't there? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was speaking to Simon Miller about that, and he revealed um, prior to her Group 1 win in the Nordley Stakes back in December when she was so outstanding, she was coming off a West Australian Guineas win, and um, he hadn't really revealed this before, but the mayor, Philip at the time, had a setback going into the Nordley Stakes to the point where on the Monday morning he was ready to put her in the paddock prior to the race. She, he just wasn't happy with her, her blood count, etc. Then she started to turn around. He gave her a uh, a really tough gallop on the Tuesday morning to, you know, to see if she was right for the race. He pressed on and he won the Group 1 with Amelia's duel. So I guess my point is she has overcome adversity before and you've got to give a good horse um, one bad run and chance to bounce back. There were obvious reasons for her two-rack flop. Um, uh, Simon told us that he believes it was a low-grade infection or bug that she picked up and that other Flemington trainers subsequently reported that some of theirs had also suffered a similar low-grade uh, bug and had a couple of days off their feed. So give her another chance. Her, her work is brilliant. Likelihood is she'll wear blinkers in the Golden Eagle on Saturday and we know at her best she is the horse to beat. The other big one is the $3 million giga kick, the follow-on from the Everest. Now, uh I haven't watched this vision, so I'm a bit remiss here, but I noticed Private Eye trialled on, was it Friday? Yeah. yeah. I see it could beat like nine lengths in a trial. Was there anything into yeah. that? No, not at all. Sam's blinkers. So Private Eye, I know prior to the Everest, he did trial without the blinkers and went terrific, but he was put into the contest in that trial quite early on. Last Friday, um, without the blinkers again, he was just allowed to cruise out of the barriers. He just went round for fun. Um, he wasn't out there to be tested at all. He's fully fit and Jay Pry just wants to keep him sharp and ready for the giga kick. Very similar prep to what he had last year when, as you, if you might remember, David, he unleashed that brilliant sprint to win the race running down Marzu. So going to 1,300 metres, it'll certainly suit Private Eye, but you would think it would suit Think about it even more. And, of course, he's won the Strabroke at 1,400, and there's talk of him going out to 1,600 metres and either 2,000 metres in the autumn. So... If anything, he'll be suited by the 1300. Only be a small field on Saturday, David, I dare say, but um, it'll be some race. Just seeing, think about it again, going for 10 in a row. Yeah, just looking at weather, could be a few showers later in the week. Yeah, not a lot. And given that we're just so dry at the moment, we had a few showers going into Randwick on Saturday, and Randwick doesn't necessarily um, handle the rain as well as Rose Hill. Um, and Ramit got back to a good four and was perfect uh, mid-afternoon. So, look, unless we get 
a lot of rain and, and it's not forecast but just a couple of showers that will save them watering the track and I think it'll be perfect for the Golden Eagle Good on you Ray, enjoy your week Thanks so much David Ray Thomas joining us this morning uh, Bill from Adelaide, morning Bill Ben Dorries wasn't far off the mark with his assessment of the Cox Plate, unlike that English loudmouth with Victoria Road, thanks Bill Let's check some markets um, We've gone through the Golden Eagle Let's have a look at Flemington. Three Group 1s there this Saturday, Derby Day. And the Derby has Riff Rocket at $2.50 with Apulia at $4.50 and Verdad at $8. Of course, they quinella the Vars, uh, Riff Rocket. Coming off a, a costly defeat at Long Odds On. But it was ultra impressive, of course, at the previous start at Flemington. But that market um, facing a major reshuffle with the announcement that Tom Kitten is not going to the Derby. He'll be spelled after Saturday's spring champion. The Coolmore down the straight, $2 million group one. King's Gambit, $4.50. Kept fresh for this. Cylinder at five. Shinzo, seven. Osmosis at nine. And the Mayors will strut their stuff at the Empire Rose, a million dollar group one. And uh, a Sydney Cider Hope in Your Heart is the favourite at four fifty, with a fellow Sydney Cider, a tissue at $5. Princess Grace at eight. Espiona, will she back up? Will, will there be a seven-day backup? She's in the market there at $9. We'll look to Tuesday, the Melbourne Cup. Vauban, as we were discussing with Ben, $4. Gold trip right in now, hard at $4.50, without a fight at 7 and Solcombe at 9 They're the four runners at single figures. And the big dance, Sefi has trialled on Friday and trialled uh, to the satisfaction of the stable. He remains the big dance favourite at $4.50. I know a star at eight, Wicklow at nine, and then three at eleven dollars. Akasawa, King of the Castle, and what it goes. They're the uh, temp fixed odds markets, and all the markets, not only for the weekend, but right through for the next few weeks on tab as we speak. I listened with interest to my colleague Steve Hewlett's chat with Steve McGrath last week concerning the former greyhounded harness complex at Tweed Heads. Of course, many of you will know it was, was known as Border Park because of its location right but close to the, the Queensland and, and the New South Wales border. What probably isn't as well known, Greyhound Racing went back to almost the turn of the century at Tweed Heads, but registered racing began at the old recreation ground in 1957. That's where they were running Greyhound Racing. And it was just over a decade later, 1969, in fact, was the year that Greyhound Racing and Harness Racing, coming along for the ride, commenced on or at Border Park. That land was bought by Harry Pledger and Norm Ahrens in 1965 for just over £3,000. So they bought the land, they had the freehold title, and Greyhound and Harness Racing started just before 1970. Uh, I think uh, anyone who knows or who knew or who knew of Harry Pledger, he lived till 92, by the way, died just over a decade ago. He was the man with the brains at Border Park as we said, they owned the freehold title and they bought it off the federal government. Harness Racing Club were the tenants there. The Greyhound Club owned it. Harness Racing were the tenants. But Pledger, he'd come from Queensland, very canny and clever Queensland Greyhound administrator, I would say before his time. But I can tell you one thing, and I, have, I do have some personal knowledge here. Harry was a good friend. Whether, whatever code it was, if anything happened to Porter Park, it had Harry's fingerprints all over it. But many of my older harness racing listeners this morning, you'll remember Tweedhead's heydays were in the 70s. They raced on Friday nights in conjunction with Harold Park Trots. 
was administered by New South Wales, but the bulk of the fields were made up by Queensland Pacers, naturally understanding the geography of the situation. But again, many who are listening this morning who can um, remember, remember 4BC's coverage on a Friday night, Harold Park with Johnny Tapp and Tweed Heads with Wayne Wilson. Uh, they were very, very popular. Tony Turnbull, the late Tony Turnbull, would pack up from his Bathurst base every winter. It was just too cold to stay there. He'd take the horses and the family and up they'd go and they would stable at Tweed Heads. He was there often for at least three months and he'd race his horses regularly at Tweed and also at Albion Park. The Greyhounds, of course, they raced every Saturday afternoon non-tab. I think many know that their, their big race was the Tweed Heads Galaxy. It was run on the Queen's birthday Monday. Heats were run on the Saturday. It was a very glamorous series. Uh, the Tweed Heads Club was, was probably considered the... The, the most important or the most prestigious uh, country club in New South Wales. But the Galaxy, it kicked off in 1971, finished in 2013. Wheels started to fall off, unfortunately. Of course, uh, the Trots lost their tab status and they became a Wednesday afternoon non-tabber during the 80s and the 90s. And there was a brief period they tried to resurrect uh, the, 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 the club and the track as a tab track in the early 2000s. I went down and called a few meetings there, but it wasn't to be... And, the, the trots closed down in 2004. The dogs kept going, though, every Saturday afternoon until their time came in, in 2016. But uh, one thing about Tweed Heads, uh, if you ever were there, you know, particularly in the 70s, whether it be the Friday night or the Saturday afternoon, the betting ring was a legendary betting ring. Uh, names that probably not many of our listeners would, would know or remember, unless you are in a, a fair age. But people like Jack Meekin, Brian Ahrens, John Manning, they uh, they were there fielding every Friday night and Saturday afternoon. But I will say, uh, from where I started, I, I thought it was great that Steve went there and the pictures he showed on his on his uh, social media feed did bring back a lot of memories, even though we were looking at nothing. In fact, it was quite eerie to, to look at that area now and see nothing there at all. It was like 50 years of racing had never happened at all. But congratulations to Steve on that and, uh, and uh, his interview with Steve McGrath last week. We'll go to a break soon, but a few things about harness racing I want to talk about. Yesterday was uh, uh, a significant day. We saw Swayze. Uh, they had a big meeting at Menangle, and Swayze was able to win a race over 2,400 metres, rated 152.3. He won first up recently also at Menangle. Jason Grimson trains him. He's never been beaten for Grimson. He's won eight straight. That kicked off. Uh, that that winning sequence kicked off at Bathurst in May, and of course one of those wins was the Blacks of Fake during our Winter Carnival here at Albion Park. He'll go to the New Zealand Cup. Three dollars fifty currently is on tab fix with the coup to the the two dollar favourite. But it was also a big day yesterday, and and uh, hats off to to Graham Dwyer and Nathan Dawson. They won the, the Victoria Trotters Derby at Maribyrnong with not as promised. This was a horse that Jess Tubbs started with. Uh, Graham took over the training. Uh, I think it was purchased by the Vivas Consortium. Nathan Dawson drove in the heat last week, ran fourth. They drew the outside of the second row yesterday. It was a roughie, $41, and got the money. Graham Dwyer's done a terrific job in training, and as we know, Nathan Dawson is an outstanding rainsman. So to Connections and to, to Graham and Nathan, congratulations on yesterday's win. We also realised or discovered that uh, the, the new harness racing centre will boast a 1,000-metre track. That's been decided upon, and I think most participants would agree with that. And they're also 
investigating a, a, a proposal or a proposition, could there be an 1,100-metre track with a chute? So that will be interesting to, to flesh that out. But at this stage, it looks as though a 1,000-metre track at Norwell. And, of course, last Monday, my opening remarks concerned the ludicrous um, uh, proposal to run the Inter-Dominion uh, at, at Albion Park on December 16 at 5.55 in the afternoon, race 4 of 10. Uh, uh, ridiculous. I, I, do, I do appreciate the people who uh, texted me through the, the 0499 punter uh, channel. Uh, look, to be, to be fair, several of them I couldn't read because it, it wouldn't be fair to you and, and it would be probably going a bit close to the wind. But, uh, look, I've had a lot of response subsequently, either in person or via my, my phone, and no one, no one thinks running the 5 to 5, let alone is a good idea, but cannot understand why they are doing it. It's just lunacy. Look, to be fair, I, I put a call into Brad Steele, who's the chairman of Albion Park now. Uh, Brad's happy to discuss the situation, but, and in fairness... He's waiting to see what uh, Tabcorp and Racing Queensland do in regards to this this uh, proposal or, or um, well, I suppose it is a proposal. I don't know how far it is down the track, but I know it, it is on paper. But, uh, yeah, happy to have a chat with Brad uh, out of that and see what his thoughts are on the matter. So a bit happening in harness racing. We'll take a break. We'll take a break here on Press Room. Thanks for your company this morning. Ben Scadden joins me next. You're listening to Press Room with David Fowler on Radio Tab. Well, if it's equine or canine, your one-stop shop is Garrard's Horse and Hound. There are 13 stores across Australia and New Zealand. Garrard's Horse and, St- Garrett's Horse and Hound stock all the big names, and they provide the very best inventory services. Now, you can buy the products online, horseandhound.com.au, or there's a free call number, 1-800-060-896, 1-800-060-896, Garrett's Horse and Hound, present press room each Monday. Let's welcome in Ben Scadden to the program. Ben, how are you? G'day, David. Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. We have the Gawler Cup on Friday. This media is now traditionally run on the uh, the day before Cox Plate. Chicago Storm on the race and David Aldridge trains. A relatively lightly race galloper, but uh, again, uh, I, I see a classic case here of a horse who could be a victim of its own success as far as South Australian racing is concerned. I think after the weekend, he'll probably be something like an 89 or 90 Raider. Where does he run yeah. in Adelaide? Yeah, it's really, really tough for him. Very limited opportunities. David Aldridge done a wonderful job with this horse. He's, um, you know, got a got a really good record. He's had the 18 starts, won seven, eight placings, 270,000. He's won, so you know, very, very successful. But you're right. Where does he Where does he go next as a as a yeah, he's an eighty-nine Raider, and officially, when I when I checked over the weekend, um, that means he's going to have very very few options in races over this. You know, fourteen hundred to sixteen hundred is the right kind of trip for him. Um, yeah, there's there's not too much on the shelf for him, so he has to think about either sending him for a breather, getting him back for the autumn carnival. But you know, what are the options there again? Or sending across to you know, like I said, sending across to Victoria, finding a trying to pick the eyes out of a race over there, which is you know very tough this time of the year as well. But um, you know, I guess you can't complain too much if you won almost three hundred thousand dollars from a from a handful of starts. Yeah, and, and and people will say, well, these people who own these high-rated horses are whinging it; they're, they're they're winning the money. I get all that, but I mean, you try to 
to uh, make a horse's career for as long as you can. I mean, to to earn as much as you can. That's the whole point of racing. <laughs> yeah. but, but but the you know, I've got some sort of first-hand experience with this because the horse that we had to kill at time was a very good horse and in Adelaide got to a point where it was difficult to place him yet he found it too hard to win in Melbourne and this is this is the situation yeah. that potentially Chicago Storm finds himself yeah. in as well I uh, think you're right and he has he's got a good record but he you know he has won 270,000 and where does where does he go from here it's um it's very tough we haven't got enough highly rated horses to to program you know um you know benchmark 90 races or stuff like that over the kind of trip that suits him so yeah the options are, are very limited yeah it's it's a, it's a problem that's not going away but finding a solution is a difficult one i want to yeah, talk about two tough. horses at morphville parks on saturday the first one was a roughie so this would have um, uh, many people would have got, got blown out of the quaddy with mouse almighty winning but yeah. there's a bit of a story to this horse regarding the trainer yeah, there really is. It's a it's a really nice story, actually. I, I must admit, I knew absolutely nothing about George Dimitropoulos. I assume that's how we pronounce it. Um, George, I found it after the race. George trains, um, you know, three or four horses at any one time. Started his career here in South Australia um, around about 25 years ago. Actually, his first run was at Bordertown in 1999. Um, he was based at Gawler at that stage. He then mainly because of business reasons, moved to New South Wales, the Riverina, trained in the Riverina for the next 20-something years. Um, always just had a handful of horses in work, so it is a, it's a hobby for George. It's not a, a full-time occupation. Um, he moved back to South Australia quite recently, like in the past few months, mainly for family reasons. He's got family here, so he moved back to South Australia, set up base at Gawler again, and... Um, and is um, training again three, three or four horses, I think, at the stage. And Mouse Almighty got the job, job done for him. His first winner since his return to Adelaide. And the, the really nice twist was that Stacey Metcalf, who rode Mouse Almighty to victory on Saturday, was actually apprenticed to George when he was based in the Riverina. So Stacey started her riding career with, with George in the Riverina around um, Wagga Wagga, I think. And um, yeah, she's ended up back here riding for him again in South Australia and rewarding him with his with the first win since he's been back here after a 20-plus year hiatus. Give some lip. Only won a maiden. Um, yeah, It was a popular win. He went off the favourite. But the, the stable have a very good opinion of this horse. Yeah, doing, look, and I, I watched this horse very closely after, after he won on Saturday because I thought, well, gee, that's a pretty big call by Will Clark and saying that he thinks he's a legitimate black type horse and gee he is super green still and that's something that Will kind of highlighted after the after the win the horse is still learning what it's all about he's very raw Will knows this breed quite well he um he raced the half sister split lip who's a very successful performer for Will gives some lip I think has got a huge huge upside um it's got a pretty big engine but um his head's not quite in the right space yet but still good enough to get that job done on Saturday in a, in a nice enough maiden. It wasn't a, it wasn't a weak maiden by any means. Um, yeah, he's now going to have a break, hopefully mature a little bit, especially mentally. Um, physically, I think he's almost there, but mentally he's got a fair way to go. Um, and Will's thinking races like the, um, you know, the, the grand final for him could be a race like the Euclid's during our Autumn Carnival, the Group 2. So um, that's the kind of opinion he's got of him. He said he's the best of his, his group. 
um, in, of that age group. Uh, yeah, and he's Will's got a very good opinion of him. That stable's going very well at the moment as well. Kind of things have started to really crank up for them in the past few weeks. I think they've had a um, you know, a dozen winners from their past 20 starters or something like that. Angepin was on a seven-day backup and was able to go back-to-back in the city. Uh, but the, the, the feature of the win was the winning rider, Maggie Collin. Now, she's had a rough trot. She'd been off the scene for something like 10 months, hadn't she? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's the, the backstory to Angepin winning. Like, Angepin winning wasn't a big surprise, but the fact Maggie Collett got to, got to ride him and win was the, uh, the nice part of that result. Um, yeah, she's yeah she has had a rough trot. She hadn't um, she hadn't ridden since December of last year. Um, she had a had a nasty fall um, on the way to the barriers. I think it was even during the jump out uh, some jump outs at Murray Bridge came off a young horse there and been suffering with concussion symptoms ever since. Um, so been back riding track work for a little while, but was struggling to get clearance to actually go back to race riding. But was given that clearance relatively recently, and now she's um, yeah, she's had that win back on Saturday. So I think it was a, it was a huge thrill for her, a real relief. Obviously, things she's you know she's feeling good again. Um, and she'll get lots of opportunities, Maggie. She's a she's a three kilo claiming apprentice who can ride at fifty kilos. So um, yeah, she'll get a she'll get a lot of chances. And it was yeah really nice to see her back and um, riding well and very healthy. And just in conclusion, uh, big night of course at Globe Derby on the weekend. Yeah, it was. It was a you know the the night of the year. I think you, you could say um, the South Australian Pacing Cup, the Derby. The, uh, the Trotters Cup, the Golden Nursery, the, the main one of the main two-year-old races of the year. Pacing Cups were 60,000, which is, you know, a little better than it was a while ago. I, I remember when it was 100,000, maybe uh, 20 years ago, and we thought that was uh, really poor prize money, but, you know, times have obviously changed a lot since then. Um, the race itself, the SA Pacing Cup, was a, was a little bit of a snooze fest, to be fair. It was um, won by Where's the Gold, so not... Not uh, boring for the for the connections. He's uh, owned by that you know hugely successful group of Summit Bloodstock and Aaron Brain Racing and a few others. Um, but he led. Alan McDonough was on board, trained by Emma Stewart. Um, went 64-6 the the first half of the last mile. So you know that's uh, that's crawling pace for that standard of horse. Um, and the game 28-3 and then 27 flat. So if you went in the first few, you you had absolutely no chance at all. You kind of you. You really can't break 27 for the last quarter at Globe Derby, especially if you're off the track. So, um, yeah, it was a lead, walk, win um, race, but, you know, still um, obviously, you know, very satisfying for connections of, of where's the gold. The Derby also went to Emma Stewart and Alan McDonald with our Vinny, who was a, quite a dominant winner. He won really well, got only 56-8. Um, and the Trotters Cup went to Blue Coman for Greg Norman. He you know, spent a lot of time here in South Australia training. Greg is a South Aussie, now based in Victoria. Um, yeah, and he did a really nice job. Blue came to win the Trotters Cup. And you can tell your good father, Trevor, that Circle Line won the last at Redcliffe last night. What a, what a horse he's been. <laughs> how old is he? How old is he? Uh, he, must, he must be absolutely at the end of legally being out of race. I would think he must be, is he 14 or something like that? 12, might be 13, 13, 14. Might be 13, actually. But, uh, 13. He won and, the last and race, of course, he's, bred he's, by um, your family. That's right, and feels like he's had 50, yard, 50 starts for each one of those years that he's been, been, on, been on the earth, just about. Gee, he's had a lot of racing. He's certainly be durable. Actually, we did him a disservice. He's 12 years of age. Ah, uh, 12. And how many starts has he had? Oh, a lot. Hundreds. <laughs> I've got to go. <laughs> right, eh? Thanks, David. See you. There he is, Ben Scallum. Colin McNiff joins us. Colin, as you join us, and good morning to you. Uh, big news for all the wrong reasons in Tassie last week with... 
Well, I, I think it's fair to say Tasmania's leading greyhound trainer, mm-hmm. Anthony Bullock, out for life. Out for life, that's correct. Yes, certainly our leading uh, greyhound trainer here in Tasmania has won 14 premierships and uh, generally at each and every meeting, the three meetings we have throughout the week here in Tasmania, Anthony would probably provide 30 to 35% of the runners. So, yes, uh, he was... uh, well, he was suspended pending an investigation after drone footage of his property in August. Uh, so stewards uh, stood him down there pending an investigation. He was found to have had a paddy melon tail being used as a lure on his property, and hence he has been disqualified for life. Um, he can appeal and uh, certainly will appeal. He did deny the charge, so we'll wait and see what happens with this appeal. But Taz Racing says it has zero tolerance to any type of animal cruelty. It's a big story down here. The leading greyhound trainer, winner of 14 premierships, stood down or disqualified, in fact, for life. In the interim, in the, in the short term, what happens to all of these greyhounds? To the, we're well, that's what here. Taz Racing is working with uh, to make sure that they are all rehomed appropriately. So uh, the welfare of the greyhounds is of utmost importance. You've got some news regarding the inevitable. Yeah, look, he's likely to run at the final day of the Flemington Carnival coming up in uh, a little under two weeks now, and a new rider, Damien Oliver, is going to take the sit on the inevitable when he does race again. And as I say, that's likely to be on the final day of the uh, Flemington four-day carnival. Launceston raced, I think, on, on Friday night. There were two horses that caught your eye you want to tell us about. Yeah, look, Miss Charlie Brown, she's a five-year-old mare from the Adam Trinder camp. She ran fifth in the Launceston Cup earlier this year, in February of this year, and uh, hadn't been seen since uh, she'd stepped down and, uh, and raced in, in March. Look, she uh, ran a cracking first-up race to win over 1,400 metres in the Flinders Island Cup on Friday night, ridden by Brenda McCool. It was a very impressive return to racing. The five-year-old has had 22 starts. She's won on five occasions, uh, 1,400 metres first-up, and she'll just be slowly taken along and uh, and stepped out towards the uh, Launceston and, and the Hobart Cups will be her target this year. Fair enough. We'll talk soon, eh? OK, cheers. Colin McNiff joining us this morning on Press Room. That is our program. Hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget next Monday is Melbourne Cup Eve and, of course, uh, Steve Hewlett will be in the chair on Racing HQ with a special Melbourne Cup Eve program. So no Press Room next week. We'll be back in a fortnight's time. But as Ben Dorries outlined at the top of the show, Ben and I will have a special Melbourne Cup preview in Past the Post next Sunday when we'll look at the race in detail and we'll chat with uh, Jared Daffy as far as all the pricing and where the money's going. That's coming up next Sunday. No press room next Monday. Have a good day. Bye-bye.